Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And we're jumping right into this. This is track walking. Uh, today, we are going to talk about how we talk about things after we race. Commonly referred to as the racer's excuse. And I will talk about the fact that I have no racer excuses and then uh, will admit to lying about that. Um, I've been thinking about this all day, and every time I come up with an answer, I, I feel like I'm lying to myself. So um, I think I'm going to break myself psychologically sometime in the next 40 minutes or so. I better you than me because I was planning on doing that. So, I mean, you're, you're going to save me some effort there. Outstanding. This sounds great. So we're going to launch right in this. So my, my thing would be that, that yes. I don't have excuses. Um, I am, I, and the reason I would say that is because I'm so honest with myself that I don't have mm. excuses, right? Yeah. Because I am, I am a paragon of honesty. I am that man who's, who's, who's honest the whole time because when I do, uh, mediocre, which is my standard way of driving cars, uh, it's because I'm not very good at this. Uh, I take full responsibility, full honesty, and that every now and again, when I do well and find myself on the the upper half of the timesheets, I'll tell you that uh, it was dumb luck, or I had a had a random uh, had a good run for no reason that I can possibly discern, or everybody else was slow, or something like that. So I would say I have no excuses as to why I did poorly because I take full. Uh, full admission of that now you tell me why that's a lie well before we get to that the other side of this oh, come coin, on i prepared a speech and you're gonna cut me off you nailed it <laughs> absolutely nailed it okay is the uh is the racer's excuse portion and we all know this to the point where it's a joke in the paddock right the i was on old tires uh the sun was in my eyes uh, I had to pee really bad. Whatever the excuse is, there's always an excuse for why you and the car did not perform up to your expectations, everybody else's, whatever. But there's that there's an excuse. And I kind of wanted to come after these these two sides of reacting and explaining a performance from a few different ways. The first one would be the mindset that comes into this. So a lot of times in the business world, we talk about a growth versus a fixed mindset. Have you've heard of this? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm clawing around in my brain to see where you're going with this because you're. I thought I was prepared, and again, you're clearly more prepared than me. So go on. Let's wait. Let's wait till we uh, talk about Hebrews later. Um, <laughs> so, the the fixed mindset is essentially static. That nothing changes. That things are just the way they are. And most importantly, to what we're talking about now is that I am as good as I've ever been right now. I There's really no room for growth. Things are just perfect as they are. That's when I, that's when I blame the car because I'm awesome. It's definitely the car's fault. 
Yes. Now, on the other side, there is a growth mindset that there is no achievable goal, that there is no pinnacle to be reached, no peak to finally get to, that there's always something to learn, that there's always room to grow. And this would come out as... Um, like, I, I lost the race, I, I made this mistake, so next time I could grow here, et cetera, et cetera. And, where and, the f- and even if you win, you should have won by more. Yes. You could have done better. Yeah, and I learned that in this corner, if I trail break um, a little bit quicker, I can get the back end rotated, get on power quicker, or something like that. That there's always, there's always some something to take away. There's always searching for more. Where the static mindset is simply, I got in the car, I ran it as hard as I possibly could, the car didn't have any more left in it, that's it. So there's that's, that's the first thing I basically wanted to talk about, the growth versus static mindset. All right. Now, both at their extremes um, can kind of be toxic and I'm going to come back to this but I think it's easier to see with the static mindset that if you really just believe that you are how you are you don't have any room to grow one you might be a little unbearable to actually be around (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I can see that yeah yeah Um, but even if you on the other end of the spectrum if you're constantly think that you have so much room to grow that you know nothing, that you're terrible, that you have so much more to learn, that you're basically just putting yourself on like a toddler's level of life, that there's so much, that can at at the same time almost be unbearable to uh, be around because the person isn't owning anything. There's, yeah, I'm, th- there's I'm probably closer to that, honestly. <laughs> but they're saying that everything <laughs> happens to me. Right. There's very there's hardly anything I can do about it. Which the, oddly the, f- the the farther I get along, the closer I get to that. The the more I learn, the more I realize how crap I am. <laughs> but what's interesting is that the growth and the static mindset, both sides of this excuse, um, ch- I don't even know what to call it, chart paradigm, um, they're both actually saying the same thing, that everything is happening to me and that there's very little that I can actually do about it at their extremes. Uh, maybe I don't know if I agree. I mean, one of them, I I, I get that. I don't know if I, I get with you that that the growth side of it is saying that because you're you're always saying that there's something to learn and do better, and that it but, seems like. But at I don't know. Ex- I guess I guess I guess in that yep. way, you you always have have adversity that's happening to you. So yes. there's always an adversity thing that you need to overcome. Is that kind of where you're doing it? Um. Yes, um, more from the self-actualization side of it, that you're not owning 
you're not internalizing anything that you've accomplished up till now that All you right. are okay. not owning who you are that you're not saying i scott or i seth have these skills and that these are some things i'm actually kind of good at if you were to ask a race car driver what do you think that you are good at i think a lot would actually struggle to tell you for be like fear cooking ex- good at mowing the lawn is <laughs> like i think they'd be a lot anyway would be afraid to tell you for fear of seeming braggadocious <laughs> right so the second way i want to look at this is from the so we've got growth and static mindset the second one would be from control over what we have control of so control what we have control of so in the and and here i i want some help so in okay your approach to explaining what happens during a race time trial whatever you say that it was like in your in your failures so to say it was totally me uh i just didn't perform the way that i wanted to and in your victories it was total fluke um you know everybody else must have just had a terrible run now in the victory side of that what i hear is a lack of willingness to take control over what you have control over which is your driving right that you're you're wanting to say that i actually don't have control over this that the outcome it's really up to the drivers how i perform it's up to the other cars how i perform it's this exporting i I wonder if some of that comes from the fact that at least in cars i haven't done any i haven't any proper wheel-to-wheel racing so the majority of my car stuff is is purely time whether it's autocross or time trial or just doing that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and so whenever i go out um and I'm trying, like actually trying to be fast, not when I'm going out and like trying to learn a technique or something like that, but when I'm trying to set a time, um, regardless of where I am on the timesheets, I always feel like I sort of failed the car. Um, in all the cars that I've ever done any time trialing with, I have this realization that the the car is much better than me. And so it, it doesn't really matter if, like I've had time trials where I'm literally the last dude on the sheet. Um, and I feel like, cool, I deserve to be the last dude on the sheet. Not only was I in the slowest class, but I'm pretty bad at this. And I've had autocrosses where I'm in, you know, in the Houston region, I'm in like the top 15% of people who finish, which in Houston is, makes me feel, you know, faster, but, but I never come off and feel like I was actually better at driving the car in either situation. Does that make sense? I always, I always... I don't want to say like I definitely haven't plateaued as a driver, but in any given season, I generally feel like my my skill set is I still I feel as bad as I'm going to feel about me. And so how people place around me is irrelevant kind of to how I feel about myself as a driver. Um, 
when I race motorcycles, it's a little bit different because I have races. Uh, I had a race, uh, last race of the season, um, in, in the class sprint race that I won, um, uh, against, uh, Julia, who's a, who's a wonderful 13 year old girl. And she was definitely faster than me, but I got a better start than her. And she didn't know how to pass me yet. It purely racecraft thing. Um, and so it, it is easy. That's a little different because that's external, right? Like I was as good as I was on the bike, but I won that race. Um, like had I let her in front of me, she would have gone away like at a second lap. And so I needed to, I needed to actively race her in such a way that she wasn't going to be able to pass me. Um, and so I felt like I had some control in that situation, which I like control of how we finished in relation to each other that sure. I don't have when I'm just driving for time. Um, and so I wonder if I raced cars like you do, if I may have more of that, because I've watched you race where your finishing position was external to your talent in a particular race and had more to do with other people's decisions. Do you know what I mean? Okay. And I don't, I don't get that driving cars because I don't, I don't run wheel to wheel. Okay, sure. Sure. I could, yeah, I can see that. So on the, on the flip side where you do perform well, you, you've said that you tend to be overly humble almost about it, that, um, no, we did this one already. We need to do the, yeah. Well, no, but I, but I mean, even, even when I described the race against Julia, you know, that sure. was, I beat her because not because I did better necessarily, but because, you know, she was definitely better than me, but there was an external circumstance that, that made me finish in front of her, which right. was simply that in order to pass me, she needed to set up a pass three corners beforehand. And right. she's, you know, 13 years old and she's only been in like four races ever in her life. And she doesn't, she didn't quite have that strategy down. Right. So yeah, I'm still there going, I didn't win because I'm faster. I won because she has some racing to learn. But, you know, and this is, I think where the control and what you had control over, like you said, is you raced her in such a way that played to your strengths and Right. the gaps in her and her experience right. so and that was wholly something that you had control over but the way that you you talk about it you're you're emphasizing that part that you don't have control over is her experience like once she learns this it's like she'll beat me yeah but she hasn't yet and she didn't right. so in that circumstance you did the exact correct thing is you took control over what you had and you performed it right but even but at the end of the race i walked up to her and said you know you're better than me you're gonna beat me the next time we do this and i'm gonna teach you how and so we've been playing with stuff on track to teach her those the ways of building momentum to do that but you know that was in victory it was simply saying it, it was it was almost accepting a loss in victory. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. I'm accepting my future loss in today's victory. Sure. And I think, 
And I think that's emphasizing her growth, which I think, especially as a mentor and as a coach and things like that, is super important. Um, but I think it also de-emphasizes your own growth and your own potential and what right and what you have control over ultimately yeah and i knew this is when i said you know i knew you were going to call me a liar because i knew this is where it was going to come back from um because i'm not acknowledging the fact that if i figure out how to ride better and i pick up a second a lap then she won't pass me yep um (laughs) <laughs> yep. and this is what was dancing around in my head all day I would create these little fictitious arguments and I could you were sitting on my shoulder tearing me back down again I was about to say I'm um, already in your head and I don't even need to be in the room I know you, you just like you you live in my head in, in these days before these these Mondays before we record if uh, if I let myself think about the show too much um so some, happens. so something in the racer's excuse that I wanted to talk briefly about is um, is wanting to assign blame to external things. It was the car, it was the environment, it was the other people on track with me, it was something other than you or me. It's just something okay. other. And uh, the term, the ancient term for this is scapegoating, which comes from... Where does that come from? Yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> I No. Like when you say it out loud, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I've used the, I've used the term a billion times. No idea where it actually comes from. Uh, Seth, it comes from the Bible. Um, and Are we going to the Hebrews here? Just super briefly. Um, All right. And bear with me. This is the... Uh, this is the pastor preacher side real quick Um, scapegoating in the hebrew bible was a annual event that the community would come together they would take two goats they would sacrifice one because that's what you did at the time and the other their jam yeah totally and the other they ritually placed the all the sins of the entire community on this one goat And they took that goat out into the wilderness as a sign of getting rid of all of our sins, all of our transgressions, all of the bad things that we think we've done onto this poor little goat. (laughs) And we kicked it out. And from that, they became ritually clean. So that's where the term scapegoating comes from. It's literally putting your own failings, your own shortcomings, like what whatever you want to call it, on something else so that it can take away. The Old Testament's fantastic. It's it's a weird this. place, man. <laughs> I could talk about bears eating children, and yes, that's in the Bible. <laughs> of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? It's freaking bizarre. Anyway, so... In the racer's excuse, there's this notion of wanting to externalize things that we ultimately have control over, I think. Right. Is it was these other things that wasn't me. And on the flip side, like you said, is you actually want to shoulder, you actually want to bear responsibility for things that ultimately you don't have control over. 
So it's, okay. a, again, kind of looking at two sides of the spectrum of the paradigm is one wants to assume full responsibility of the world, of the world's problems on your shoulder. The other wants nothing to do with it. And this can kind of go back to that growth mindset versus fixed mindset as well. So, yeah, I think, I think basically what, well, let me ask the question first is where, so what do you do? So if you can't bear all responsibility for everything that happens, which, which sounds like an absurd proposition, but I think a lot more of us do that more often than we realize. Right. And then on the other end of the spectrum, it would be taking no responsibility that everything is happening to us, that ultimately, actually, we don't have any control over what happens because things just happen to us. All right. Okay. So, so I want to do, do like, you... like I, I think the ultimate manifestation of that is, is rain. I mean, during, nothing during happens a to a racer. Yeah, rain during a race. Nothing yep. happens to a racer quite like those those drops hitting your windshield, right? Mm-hmm. Like because you you have zero control. Like you're you've got a the 15 lap race, and on lap two the rain starts to come down. Mm-hmm. Literally and, a situation we had multiple times this season. <laughs> yeah, and that's and and that's that's why I wanted to throw that back at you. Like, what's your like emotionally, other than than sheer panic, which is what happens to me when it rains. What are you? What sort of s- stories are you concocting in your head about this, or is it just too much happening so you create the stories afterwards? What's what's happening? At my best, I would just accept it as fact that it is raining and that the (laughs) only thing I can do about it, I could come off track. I could... Yeah, you could just quit. Yeah, could totally do that. Um, I could ignore the rain on the other end of the spectrum, just keep driving like I normally do, or... It's it's not going to happen for very long. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, both of those situations would end the race much sooner than the uh, this third option here. Or choice C, I think, would be to modify the way I am driving to make the best, to get the most amount of traction that I possibly can. And... What I try to do is just that, is I try to make the best of what I've got and the conditions that I'm in. And But that's you being super analytical. That's not even the question I asked. I want to know, like... like I'm getting uh, there. Because excu- <laughs> no, because it's, this, is, this is emotional and excusey. And, yeah. like, I don't need a technical treatise on driving in the rain. I can watch that movie with the car or with the dog <laughs> if I want to do that. I want to. I want to know where Scott's head is. Uh, it de- and and what I found this year is it really depends on what tires I'm on, and what tires everybody else is on. Now, what what's happened in GLTC is, if you want to run up front, you need Hoosier wets to run in the rain. Right. 
Um, I like I, I genuinely I, I don't say this as an excuse, but to say that that's the performance of them is just light years beyond anything else. Not to say you can't be on street tires and at least be competitive, which we saw Tom O'Gorman doing uh, early in the weekend at Mid Ohio. But Hoosier Wets just make it so much better. I don't have Hoosier okay. Wets. So if I go out on my Continental Extreme Contact Sports in a sea of Hoosier Wets, I genuinely, I generally, rather, excuse me, believe that there are many things that are outside of my control and that things are happening to me. That there's no way I can keep up with these Hoosier Wet guys. Um, that I'm just pissed. It's like, damn, I wish we didn't drive our stupid car to the to the track. <laughs> then I could actually have these things. I might actually be competitive. So in that situation, I, I'm more often than not uh, blame, I scapegoat. I blame exterior things outside of me. Um, versus when, like the, uh, the last event at Gingerman this year, I went out on my wet tires which are street tires and everybody else went out on their Hoosier wets, but it didn't end up raining and the track dried out. So I was on the best tire of the lot and I got a pretty substantial bump in finishing because of that. But, and this is me, I, I was like, well, these were the only tires. Had we had Hoosier wets, we would have gone out on them as well. And we would have been in the same boat with everybody not owning up to what we had. It's like, these were the tires and I drove them the best that I possibly could. And that did pretty well for us. I didn't do that. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. I think it largely, I think what I'm finding here is it largely depends on how you feel about your performance. If you feel like you performed or achieved what you had hoped, or if you underperform and that if you feel like you failed, that there's a, I think people react to those two different situations very differently. So you're going to have a different, uh, different excuse depending on what what your final position is on that sheet at the end. And not only that, I've had races where I've actually finished quite well, and I was actually really irritated about how I drove, and vice versa. And this is when Becky has to really kick me. Is sometimes I will finish really low on the charts. Uh, and I actually drove really, really well. Um, and then I tend to be down about myself because the results don't echo how I felt about it, but are nonetheless, it was good. I actually performed well. So I think there's, there's that, uh, complication in there that, and this year as well, that's going to be one of my big goals is to focus on results less and just go out and try to do better wherever we go. And now that we've got a full season with the new setup and everything, I think that'll be easier 
because we're not just chasing everybody else that we're at now that we can try to chase ourselves. And I think that. So are you gonna? Are you gonna base that off? If you're not basing it off finishing time or finishing position, you're basing that off lap times or just how well you think you drove the car or what's what's I, your what's gonna be your metric? I think the metric's lap time for me, um, but not only. You know, if okay. I if I get better at um, being the slow car, slower car in front of faster cars, but I'm still able to finish ahead of them despite a slower lap time, I'd be pretty happy with that. Or if, you know, we're just able to run clean races, um, even though we may not be the fastest and um, end up doing well, that's great. Um, so I think there's a few different metrics, but I also have the goals of um, getting better under braking this year and on corner entry. And that's uh, that's that's a feel thing. That, but uh, but I just say that's purely a feel thing for you, like you know if you did it well or if you sucked at it? Um, I think it'll be a feeling thing, but I think backed up through data and lap times ultimately. Okay. All right, so so you're you're gonna. Uh, I almost hear you saying I'm gonna try not to make the same excuses I've been making. Yeah, I'll find new ones. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, but I think I think there's something very freeing to saying and doing the work to even recognize them that I'm not sure all of us do is just recognizing and saying I'm actually good at these few things that's not to say I'm perfect that's not to say I'm the best but it's like I feel like I'm pretty good on corner exit Um, I feel like my race starts have gotten actually pretty good not to say that either of those are perfect and that I don't have room to grow there but I feel like those are two things I'm actually good at and I've I can say that because I've actually spent this entire week trying to figure out what I feel like I'm actually good at <laughs> and it took like, a lot it of work you, it takes you a whole week to figure out what you're good at that's fantastic yeah <laughs> um and you know you you can after a race you can come off and say man I really nailed these few things and gosh darn it, I still have A, B, and C I desperately need to work on. Like, it can be both at the same time. You can recognize yourself, take ownership, and take pride in what you did well, and still acknowledge that either things that were in your control uh, that you didn't do very well at, and the situation. Like, me in the rain on our wet tires versus Hoosier wets. There's a huge disparity in grip that's available between those two tires. And it may sound like an excuse, but it's only an excuse if I let it affect what I have control over, which is driving my tires to the, for everything that they've got. Does that make sense? Right. It does. I'm wondering if there would be, there would be a benefit when we talk about driver growth and personal growth and all that stuff if yep. there would be a benefit to to sort of externalizing this I mean like physical notepad as, as part of a post race post weekend thing um, like what what am I good at and what do I suck at 
and yeah. whether or not forcing yourself to acknowledge you know this is what i did well can create a more positive racing experience i mean i i talk you, you hear me repeatedly on on the podcast say that i don't i don't go to the track to feel bad about myself because i can feel bad about myself anywhere without <laughs> spending money um and I, I go to the track to have fun um but i do feel bad about myself when i do bad like and sure. and i probably think i do worse you know, last year I won. I, I did win a championship in a in a class against super you know, sport, like an eight. It's super sport against against an eight year old, my my, my main rival. Um, and we did win. We did win our endurance class, um, which was again. If if you ask me how we did that, I'll say we stayed upright the most, rather go. than we were actually fast. Yeah, go back and listen, folks, if you haven't, to the super sport champion Seth Lemke episode which i believe is episode number six um and you can you can hear this from him firsthand and be able to tell him how much of a liar he is postpartum yeah yeah it's it's cool i'm gonna get a whole bunch of people telling me i'm a liar that's how you should greet me like uh hey seth you're a liar aren't you yeah it's (laughs) it's only a bad thing if i pretend like i'm not a liar (laughs) (laughs) right yeah, because you're, I don't know, my, I feel like my season, because I lived it, is really easy to, to digest. And I think about it as a big chunk right now because we're in this mid-season thing. And before the show, we were talking about how the, the new season is this giant, creeping, approaching toothed bear thing that's coming to, it's getting closer and closer. To eating, and eating children. Yeah, it's going to eat children and uh, probably a goat with all their troubles on it, which would be fine. <laughs> but but you had, I mean, you had last season, and I've, I talked to you through the season, and you certainly had your emotional ups and downs. And yeah. I mean, like when I'd get, when I talk to you at the end of a weekend, almost inevitably the downs were the thing that I don't want to see you focused on. But if I, I, I if I talked to you about a, if I talked to you about a weekend, those were the things that were right on the pointy part of your brain. Yes. And then then we could talk for a while, and you'd get around to the good stuff. Now, part of that's my personality, is I I tend to gravitate and meditate on the negative. Um, but I really like your suggestion on what we can do post sessions post-races, post-weekends to help emphasize the things that we improved on or the things that we are good at. Because in racing, almost all the metrics and all the things that we're supposed to talk about at the track are, what are you working on? Um, You know, if you grab a track map at the end of your session you're writing down what you did and what you need to do next time but very very rarely do you put down really nailed the entry into turn two do that again Um, exiting turn six got back to power quick really helped the car rotate keep doing that emphasizing those things 
there's there's a psychological rule that we need to hear something positive six times before it really takes root but we only hear need to hear negative things once or twice and there's some like evolutionarily evolutionary psychology mixed up in that but that it's much harder to take positive things and put them into us so that they last a long time and i that that's an intriguing idea to me that what if there are actual practices that we can do to help us take ownership over what we do have control over what we have learned and who we are as drivers now even if we're continuing to learn and develop and to grow that this is who I am now that these are the things that I'm good at rather than yeah I'm okay I'm working on these things which we can all almost always point to the same things my vision needs work my brake release needs work and um, racecraft if you race wheel to wheel I mean those are things anybody can say that they're working on from front to back but it doesn't actually help us improve I don't think yeah, I don't think now. I mean, I'm mulling this over in my tiny little head over here and thinking <laughs> that that I do have a tendency to, when I'm working on things, I tend to look at the things I'm working on very negatively, and and I think that's natural to the process because if if I think I'm good at something, I'm not working on it in general, right? I'm working on the things that I think I'm bad at because I want to be better at them. Emphasizing and them, putting time and energy into those. Right, right. Like I've got a, I have a particular corner that I'm trying to change how I go through it. The, uh, I was at the, at the track, um, two weekends ago with a guy who's a former, former AMA superbike racer. And, uh, he and his family, his son are moving to Spain next year to race motorcycles. His, his 10 year old son's going to race motorcycles in Spain. And so he was out there coaching his son in general but where he was standing I was going through the same corner and we came off track and he goes it's it's a, a left-hand corner not 90 degrees maybe 110 degrees and it's fast it's big and sweeping and fast um, like right at the edge of I'm I'm definitely scared of crashing on a motorcycle there we're, we're going probably I'm going over 40 miles an hour into the corner tipping the bike over and when I do it right I'll you know uh, I'm I have to tip the bike over, hit the brakes um, with the bike over, um, stand the bike up when I hit the brakes, downshift, and then go into a hairpin. And he looked at me doing it, and he goes, every time you go into that corner, I can watch you hit the brakes. I goes, why are you doing that? And I said, well, because I think I need to set, I need to set pressure on the front of the bike. Um, because I'm not, if I don't set pressure on the front of the bike, I'm not confident the front tire will stick. And he said, that's completely wrong. <laughs> he said, the act of turning in the motorcycle will add pressure to the front of the bike. He said, all, he said, I think all you're really doing is giving yourself confidence, but you're actually making the bike stick less by loading it and then unloading it than you would if you just rolled through the corner. Yep. And and so that's some wisdom right a, there. 
Yeah, and it's so there's these things that I'm trying to learn, and I'm trying to not be negative in my implementation of it, um, because the thing he's asking me to do is super scary. He's like, okay, this corner that you've been breaking for, that you've got 10,000 laps where you've hit the brakes, you know, 9,997 times, I want you to not hit the brakes anymore. And... And it's hard for me to do something like that in a non-negative way. I should be looking at it like my ability to go through this corner, even if I slow up a little bit and tip in slowly, you know, and work on that. Like you say, when you're braking, right? When you're working on brake release and you do things and your timing's a little bit off, but you're trying to get better. And you should be able to go, cool, I did a thing that I couldn't do before. Even if I did it not to the best of my ability, like I want to do it better but I did it. Yes. Right? The first time you trail break. Like you're bad at trail breaking when you when you first do it, right? Yes. But you but we don't generally give ourselves the benefit of the fact that we actually did it. Right? We turned the car in while still braking that first time that we did it. Yeah. We usually you're you're so bad at it, you just go, "Wow, I was I was super bad at that." And we don't give ourselves credit for the fact that 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 the the learning of a new skill is a positive, even if we're doing it poorly while we're learning it. Yeah, I like that a lot. Does 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 that make sense? Yeah. And and I'm trying to I'm trying to approach because of this one corner. I've been thinking about this for like the last two weeks now. Because of this one corner, I've been trying to think about how I approach learning other things on track um, and trying to be okay with the fact that I'm doing a new thing badly rather than focusing on the fact that I'm doing it badly. But you're doing it. But I'm doing it, yeah. right? And and so, and a lot of the times I'm doing it because my my whether I'm in a car or uh, a motorcycle and anybody who's driven on track with me in a car, especially around like NCM, you'll know that the things I am worst at are fast corners. Like like a big fourth gear corner where you're just supposed to stay in it or just, you know, maintenance throttle and you're going, I don't know, you're going through a corner at anything above like 75 miles an hour. If you're going through a corner, I'm scared in a car. Um Brainerd, going through the corner at the end of Brainerd. You were there. Yeah. Um, could you could you go through that big right hand at the right hander at the end of Brainerd without lifting? I finally did at the end of the day. Yes. I was going to say my next question was: end of the Could day. you do it? And and did you do it? Because those are two different things, right? I'm. I feel confident that turn one, I kept my foot in. Okay. I am less confident that I did in turn two. Because in see, I did in I did in turn two, but I couldn't do it in turn one. Because turn two is flat, is very fast, right. but it's flat. So all that right. grip and all that speed you had in turn one, um, you know, our car kept building speed into turn two. And on data, I'm I'm pretty sure I lifted at least just a little bit for a moment, but. On turn in, we lost speed. <laughs> which is which is the other thing I'm learning the the act, and you can only see this on like 
I think I can only see it on really fast corners. The act of turning scrub speed is a break. Your steering is a break. And and this was something that the the guy who was watching you uh, ride the bike is trying to say is that right by turning the wheel you are braking and by squeezing on more gas you are steering right that these things that we were used to controlling from the street and as we're brought up is your steering wheel controls the direction and your feet control the speed but when you're really kind of reaching i don't want to say some sort of golden status <laughs> not perfect but golden <laughs> status is when those two flip and when you're able right. to start slowing the car with the wheel and steering it with your feet you're you're driving within that 5% of your tires grip and that's where some real magical stuff has happened i've been able to experience it in momentary corners and laps and things like that enough to know right. how cool it is yeah and and i only do it i i've only experienced it in fast corners and and for me like i say I have fast corners above like corner speed above like 75 sure um which i know people who drive fast cars are like 75 what's wrong with you but turn turn but, one at road america is a fast yeah car. It is, and I should go through it faster. But so, so what happens is, is I am I am noticeably afraid of those corners. Sure. Um, like, like emotionally, if you put a heart rate monitor on me, if you put one of those big helmets with all the wires in it, you would be able to see the physical manifestation of fear when I go into a fast corner. And because of that, fast corners are a negative experience for me. Um, and I'm trying to figure out a way to have them not be. Um, and I, I'm, I'm hoping I made a breakthrough with this one corner at the at the track on my tiny, crappy little motorcycle. But but that's always been an excuse for me. Like if you say why are you why are you slow at a place like NCM, I will tell you the things that I'm bad at at NCM are the big fast sections. Sure. Um, because I am not confident in the car going fast. You get me in the tighter stuff and, and I can hold my own. Um, I'm like that at NCM. I'm like that at uh, MSR Crescent. Um, uh, a, you know, a bunch of tracks. It takes me, I'm, I don't want to be arrogant here and say it takes me a lot less time to figure out the, the slow stuff. Um, but like I can, I can be within, you know, whatever, a couple, five, 10% of what fast people are doing in the slow stuff fairly quickly but in the fast stuff the fast guys blow me away um and and that's all that is my excuse my my excuse for why are you bad at driving cars on track is always i am afraid of of the fast parts that's my number one driver excuse i can't drive the fast parts of the track fast if i'm afraid of them and i'm afraid of them now, folks, if you were listening to this, you can always go back to the podcast on The Voices Are Real. <laughs> because you want to talk about a tape that's playing in your head. Seth telling himself that he is not fast in the fast stuff. 
and truly I think believing it and something tells me that I'm not sure uh I'm not sure whose voice that is Seth but I'm not sure it's yours no but 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 I hear when I talk to you about driving in the wet um I don't I don't necessarily hear the same things. Like I, sure. I will openly admit that that I'm afraid of driving fast things. But when I talk to you about driving in the wet, you will come right out, and you're you're immediately talking about well, we have this advantage or this disadvantage. Or as soon as it gets wet, you I don't call them excuses, but you turn on your wet weather excuses. Yeah. I think as soon as those drops hit your windshield. Yeah, I, you're you're turning on wet weather excuses before it's even affected the dynamics of the car. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong there. <laughs> and uh, to, to to talk about what we had mentioned with wanting to emphasize even just being in the game and even making any improvement whatsoever. One thing that I've had the privilege of doing uh, this past year is instructing and as I've been able to coach these uh, these people who come to events, it's absolutely, I mean, it's fascinating to be able to experience through them different elements of driving for the first time. So what I tried to do is I tried to take out uh, my students in their own car where I drive and they ride passenger. And to have them experience oversteer through trail braking for the first time, like in their butts, actually feel it in their bodies that we're trail braking and you just get that little bit of back end rotation as you're coming off the brake is an eye opening experience for them. It's absolutely magical. They're like, <gasps> and you didn't die, you know, um, but that that to me like it's that's something that these are little lessons little experiences that we've so taken for granted at this point they like become liabilities it's yeah i i can do that now but i'm nowhere near x y and z it's like i have so much more but it's like but but you're here but you've learned those things you've gotten better at it and i think that's i think that's admirable I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 no, I'm, I'm with you with that. I don't, I, I probably, I, I'm not convinced that I'm good enough on a motorcycle to teach people, even though I know I'm better than people, other people who show up and ride with us, if that makes sense. Sure. I don't, I don't have faith in my abilities to teach the things that I know yet on a motorcycle, even though I do in a car. Um, and I think that's going to be a next step for me is to get to the point where I feel like I'm good enough at this, that I can share some of what I've learned. Mm. Um, although arguably I'm actually better on a motorcycle than I was in a car when I started instructing in cars. So, um, I'm not sure what my current psychological hangup with that is. Yeah. Um, well, I think we made a podcast. I think we did too. Otherwise, I'll just go around in circles about how I'm bad at stuff. And uh, <laughs> that will be my excuse for everything is why are you slow? Because I'm bad at driving. 
listeners, what is your go-to excuse? What's the what are some easy things that it is for you to externalize? Do you like to blame the car? Do you like to blame the drivers around you? I hear that a lot in Time Attack is I couldn't get a clean lap. And yeah. while there is some tr- again, there is some truth in that. I hear it a lot. I don't know. I don't know. Who wants to spend money to fix things? That's the other thing. Because uh, that's that's the thing I love. Like, dude, if I only had X, Y, or Z part, oh, sure. I would have been right. I would have been there. Yeah. If, if I, I only had Hoosier Wets. <laughs> that's like I'm talking to myself. It's terrible. <laughs> um, but what's what? do you tend to blame things outside yourself? Do you tend to shoulder the blame more often than not? Um, what's what's your go-tos? Uh, I think it'd be interesting to hear. So um, you can share that on the Track Walking Chats Facebook group. Um, we've gotten some good discussions going in there recently. And we are on Facebook and Instagram at Track Walking Podcast. Please rate us and review us on whatever platform you're using. It does help. And um, thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, chatting with us about uh scapegoat and the racer's excuse and all that sort of weird stuff and uh we will talk to you next week for both of us i'm scott and i'm seth have a good evening we'll talk to you soon talk to you later